Welcome to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hemmerker. In each episode, she'll talk with your favorite romantic suspense authors. They will take you behind the scenes of the writing process, giving excerpts from their writing, and share stories about their writing life. Hello, and welcome to The Romantic Side of Suspense. I'm your host, Sarah Hamaker, and I'm so glad you joined me. This episode, you're going to hear about this month's new releases in Christian Romantic Suspense. I hope you will enjoy hearing from your favorite Romantic Suspense authors as they talk about the background of their latest books. And now I'm going to talk with Carmen Pion about her new Romantic Suspense release, Renewed Hope. So welcome to my show, Carmen. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So we're going to just dive right into Renewed Hope and start with the heroine. And um, I love this question. I think it's just a fun one. If your heroine has or could have a pet, what would it be? And what would, you, what would she call it? You know, I had to kind of look this up because she doesn't have a dog and it wasn't on my radar. And, um, but I do know, and I think this is what Jane Kirkpatrick's dog is too, and I just love it, a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Um, it would be a female because it's it's a loving and peaceful dog, or that's what it's known for. And she would name it Luna because of the ah. soft moon. <clears throat> she is a domestic violence survivor, and so mm. she would have this dog for comfort for her and her four-year-old son. Oh, I love that. No, those those are definitely really pretty, pretty animals. They seem so soft, too. You just want to, like, pet their ears yeah. or something, <laughs> I think. And their faces, their faces are just so cute and sweet. Yeah, well, maybe. So so there you go, listeners. If she had a dog, that's what it would be. So let's switch, <laughs> let's switch over to your hero. We love our heroes. Um, so where did yours grow up in Renewed Hope? He grew up on the reservation that I live on. My husband is a member of the Cawville tribe here in eastern Washington. And the tribe is big. It's 1.4 million acres and has four different towns or districts within it, spread out kind of linear. And so we are on the most eastern side by the Columbia River, and um, Chad grew up in this. Elam, which is two towns or districts over in the heart and headquarters of the Cawville tribe. And it's really cool area because south of Nespelum, of the, there's a town at Nespelum and a few miles down is headquarters. And south of headquarters, it's more desert and it has the coulee. Mm. It, it's um, behind Grand Coulee Dam. But then you, ah. you have the north. And, and this is just separated by a few miles to the north. You have the grasses, you have the hills, you have the trees, lakes, and, and creeks. And it's, it's just really diverse and really beautiful area. Ah, sounds lovely. I think I want to grow up there. <laughs> I know. It, it, I'm glad I raised my kids here. <clears throat> yeah. So let's switch over to your villain. Um, who or what does your villain love the most in Renewed Hope? Right. He loves himself. He is the abuser. He is the ex-husband. He's a narcissist. He'll do anything to get his own way. And, you know, in, in private, he's, he's abusive, right? 
So mm. in public, oh, he's the hero of the small community. He's a firefighter. And nobody really believes or believed Sophie because he, he was such a you know good guy in, in public. Yeah. But behind yeah. closed doors, he wasn't. Yeah, all too all too familiar for I think a familiar story for us all, but it definitely adds that great yes. conflict that we we love in our story. Um and so you talked a little bit about that you have this set probably in a real place. Um so what did, what did you have to change about the setting for your story? Right. So this is set on two different reservations. Um the heart of this series, this is book 3 in the Seven Tine Ranch Romance series. And <clears throat> Um, the the ranch that sets all the books together is the Seventine Ranch in Espelum, and that's where Chad is from. But Sophie is from the Flathead Reservation in uh, Montana, uh, near Polson, Montana. Um, and so she hears about the ranch um, that holds a room for abused women because the owner... Sydney Muma Hardy in book one was also a domestic violence survivor. And so she decides to hold a room for these women. And so um, when the villain, her ex-husband, threatens to sue for full custody of their son, she takes him and runs. And so it kind of starts out you know, between the Colville and the Flathead Reservations, but most of it is in the Flathead Reservation. So the thing that I had to change, um, part of it was up north by the Canadian border by the Hungry Horse Dam and the recreational area. And so I added in a cabin that isn't there (laughs) and wouldn't be there. (laughs) Yeah, I love it that we can just, add things when we need to. That's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it sounds like um, your book has talk, tackles a lot of, like, you know, heavy issues, but what, what, is the, what do you think is the underlying positive message of this particular story? Right. It is, it is absolutely hope in God, that God protects, provides, he binds our wounds. You know, even things, when things seem hopeless, he walks us through those storms. And, you know, that's what I love about him the most, that we can lean on him because what Satan means for harm, God turns into good because he is good all the time. And so I love, it, yeah. it is a message of hope and healing. <clears throat> yeah, I love that. That's beautiful, Carmen. Well, we're almost out of time. This is the, our short interview. So what is one thing you want readers to know about renewed hope? Well, it's more about domestic violence and that there is hope and that survive, or, um, victims are not alone. Um, there's, they can call the domestic violence hotline, the national hotline, 1-800-799-7233 or 799-SAFE, where they can go to the hotline.org. So there is hope and there is healing and there is, there is support. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, thank you for uh, being on my show today, Carmen. Thank you. I appreciate it. Patricia Bradley is my next guest, and she's going to talk about her new release, Fatal Witness. So welcome back to my show, Patricia. Thank you. I always love being here. So let's dive right in and talk about your heroine. 
Now, in this story, if she has or could have a pet, what would it be, and what would she call this pet? She actually has a pet. It's not. A, well, it's more of a guard dog. It's a poolie. And you say, what is a poolie? Well, it's a dog that looks like a mop. Ah. So, uh, and, and and the dog's name is Lizzie. Oh, I love that. And, yeah. And, and, Yes, and the hero makes fun of the dog until she saves his life. But, and <laughs> of course. Words. Of course. They are, I don't know if you've ever seen one, but they are funny-looking little. They're fun. They're not little. They're pretty good-sized dogs, and their their fur is corded, so mm. they look like a, a big floppy mop. mop. And yeah. Lizzie, Lizzie is black in color, so uh, she looks like a dirty mop. <laughs> no. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. That, that. I'm sure that adds um, just that little extra touch of humor uh, to yeah. your story as fun. well. I had so fun with her. I bet you did. Um, so let's talk about your hero and what's holding him back from finding love. And we know it's not the dog. Or something no, else. it's not the dog. <laughs> no, it's not the dog. It's actually a character that has been in, was in uh, the first series. Mark, his name just left me. I I cannot believe it. But anyway, uh, he was a sniper in Afghanistan, and he was doing overview, and he had fallen in love with one of the soldiers, and she was in the uh, the group that was he was doing overview for, which means he's watching for the bad guys to come out, and he's to take care of them, and mm-hmm. but. They surprise him, and he hasn't forgiven himself that he did not protect her and that she was killed. Mm. So he's very wounded, and he's afraid he will fail again. Yeah, yeah. We often have those kind of fears um, on big and small scales. um, Right, and his name is Mark Lasseter. Okay, there you go. So let's switch to the villain. Uh, why did you decide to make him or her the the bad person in your story? Actually, I didn't choose. He told me he was the villain, and I wasn't okay. really sure who it was. I, I'm really bad about getting to the end of the book and finding out who the bad guy really is because I'm always right several who can be the bad guy, mm-hmm. and then and then they do the big reveal at the end. So. I have been known to start out with and on that page of when I'm revealing who the killer is and get halfway down saying, nope, you're not the right woman, and have to go yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that, Patricia. There's sometimes when I'm writing and I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> not the right. I mean, not a very nice person, but not the right one <laughs> to right. be the actual villain. So let's talk about the story setting. Why why this particular setting for this particular story? Well, uh, my <clears throat> sister and mother lived in, well, my mother lived in Chattanooga before she passed away, and I love that area. And I have been in Mississippi almost for the whole series, and uh, all four series or three series, and uh I just kind of wanted to go to the mountains for a change, and it also gave me an opportunity to go up there and poke around and and uh, do some research. So I like to make my settings where I can go do research. Yeah, <laughs> I totally and, get and, that. And, and not be wasting time. 
Right, right. Might as well go to someplace you want to go and, hey, we'll put a book here. <laughs> Make right. it worthwhile. So let's talk about the underlying positive message of Fatal Witness. Um, mostly that the forgiveness will set you free, whether it's yourself that you need to forgive or someone else. Oh, I love that. That is such a theme that we all need to be reminded of, I think. Right. And, and a lot of times forgiving ourselves is harder than forgiving someone else. Yes, and that that's, actually, so that's, that's actually that's uh, actually Mark's problem. Right, because he can't forgive himself. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we're almost out of time for this short interview, so let's let's wrap it up with what's one thing you want readers to know about Fatal Witness? Okay, that that Danny's on a journey to discover who she is and to reclaim her true identity. She doesn't remember who she is, and so. Uh, that that she's on this journey and someone is determined to keep the truth of what happened the, many years ago uh, hidden because she has the answers to who committed the murders. Oh, I love that. Well, readers, there you go. That's a great ending. <laughs> I think you're going to want to go out and buy this book right now. So thanks for being on my show and sharing about it. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Now I'm talking with Liz Tolzma with her book, What I Promise You. So welcome to my show, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to be here. So let's talk about your heroine, and I love this question. It's one of my favorites to ask about books. What did she want to be when she grew up, and did she become that person? Well, since it's a dual timeline story, I have two heroines. So the heroine from 1942-1943 wanted to become a stained glass maker. Her father owned a stained glass factory, and she took it over after his death and lost it during the Second World War. And so she did achieve her dream for a while, but then the war took it away from her. And the contemporary heroine always wanted to be a missionary nurse. And so that's actually what she's pursuing throughout the book is her training to become a missionary nurse. And so that's why she's in Spain to undergo this training before she's sent off into the mission field. Ah, okay, good. So um, what about your hero? And feel free to pick one or the other doesn't matter <laughs> where where did your hero grow up so the really the only hero there is it's, it's a lot of women's fiction so there isn't a, a huge hero but the hero that is in the book he grew up on the east coast of the united states but he also is in spain and he's training for the mission field as well to be a missionary pilot so that he gets to fly missionaries all around. So that's what he's doing. Ah, fun. And let's do your villain. Who or what does your villain love the most? Well, this was a question that you really got me with, and I had to think <laughs> long and hard about this one. <laughs> so the villain really is the war and trauma. It's more mm. of a, a, you know, you do those different man versus man, man versus nature, right. man versus himself 
type things. And so this is more man versus his circumstances. And so the villain are the people's circumstances. And I'm sorry, all of a sudden I blanked. What question was I answering? What what, they, what does your villain love the most? Who or what? What does the who or what does the villain love the most? Yeah, the right. villain. If you think of Germany as the villain during the Second mm-hmm. World War, Germany loves Germany the most. It was this time of nationalism, this time of intense pride in Germany, and Germany was the best, and the Aryan race was the best, and so that was really prevalent in the country pre-World War II, and then during the war. Mm, Yeah, and we all see how well that turned out. (laughs) Yeah, and the very interesting thing is, is I've done research on what Germany is like now, and nowadays the German people are very, very careful not to slip into that nationalism too much. So you don't hear Germans going, yay, Germany, or flying a lot of German flags from their homes like we do here in the U.S. just because that's been so ingrained in them that you have to be really careful not to fall into that again. Right, right. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so let's talk about the story settings. Um, I imagine you have more than one with your dual <laughs> timeline. So why did you pick those settings? Well, the main setting is at a maternity home in the small town of Elm, France. And I gave the maternity home a new name, but it's based on a real place and a real home that operated there during the Second World War. And when I was in France researching this book, my friend and I toured this house, and it was amazing to see this place. It had been an old mansion in very bad shape, when the woman who ran it purchased it and fixed it up and she used it to hide Jewish women and children and many Jewish children were born there. And I just almost, and it leads to the first line of the book, but I could almost feel the stories in the house. It's Mm. a strange thing to say, but it was like the house was speaking to me and was telling me all that had gone on there, the joy and laughter of small children, and yet the pain of them being raided by the Nazis. And so it just became almost a central figure, another character in the book. And so it's very important and a very important setting. And that's why I was adamant with my publisher that the house had to be on the front cover of the mm. book even. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, well, it sounds like you have a lot of stuff going on in the book. <laughs> so um, yeah. can you talk a little bit about what's the underlying positive message of this story, this dual timeline story? Right. Well, even though there is a lot going on and there are multiple timelines, really it's the story of two different women, but they run parallel to each other and then merge into each other at the end. And both women have suffered great loss and been through a great deal of trauma. And both experience survivors' guilt. And so the underlying message of the story is that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what trauma we've experienced, that God has a purpose and a reason for our lives and there's a reason that we're here and then he's always going to walk beside us and be with us and 
love us and take care of us. And that's really what the message of the book is. There, we all experience trauma. I think we can all relate to it, and it resonates with all of us. But this, just knowing that God is with us and that he has a purpose for us and a purpose for our lives. If we're here on this earth, there is a reason mm. for that. And I remember my husband's aunt had muscular dystrophy, a type of muscular dystrophy, and she was completely paralyzed. Um, she could only blink her eyes anymore. She had glaucoma, so she couldn't see. She couldn't mm. speak. And her mother, my husband's grandmother, said, I just don't know why they keep her alive. They should just let her die. And yet her daughter, my husband's cousin, we were together with her once, and she had said to us, I talked to my mom. She could blink, and so they had a code figured all out that her mom would blink certain ways so they could communicate. Mm -hmm. And she said, my mom wanted me to tell you that she's praying for you. And I'm going to get choked up. I have to say yeah. that a lot of people would say that was not a life worth living, and I found it to be incredibly touching and moving that in the midst of craziness, raising children, homeschooling them, writing, all that I was trying to do at the time, there was somebody out there who was praying for me every day. And mm -hmm. so that's sort of the message of this story, that no matter what your circumstances are, God has a reason for you being here. Ah, I love that. It's beautiful. Well, we're going to close our short time together now, Liz, with what is your book's tagline? My book's tagline is, A Family's History is Lost to the Ravages of World War II. So it's mm. really about the contemporary heroine <clears throat> going back to France where her grandfather was born and trying to find out where he was from, what his origins were, and what was life like for her great-grandmother during the Second World War. Ah, I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on my show and sharing about what I promise you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to chat with you. And next up, I have Danny Petrie with her latest romantic suspense, One Wrong Move. So welcome back to my show, Danny. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm always excited to talk about upcoming and, and new books that are coming out. So Let's dive right into this one. How does your heroine feel about love at the start of this particular story? Well, my heroine, Annie Forster, has had a bad experience with love uh, about a year <clears throat> before this book starts, and she's very jaded by it and doesn't believe she can trust a man again. Um, and then she meets Christian, and things start to change. Of course they do, because he's the hero. <laughs> he's the hero. He's the hero. All right. So where did um, Christian grow up? Um, so he grew up in Las Vegas for the most part. Um, and then his parents are con were con men, and he was raised in Vegas, and then they conned the wrong person, and they ended up on the run. So he lived in a lot of different places. Uh, mm. But his more than his siblings um, have ended up in New Mexico, and so that's where the story is set. Ah, that's a bit of a change for you. So we'll we'll get to that in yeah. a minute, though. So, um, 
for your villain, and I'm glad you picked this question because I think it's just a, a fun one. What was the last book or movie that your villain read or watched? So my villain, um, who is committing a string of art heists, uh, loves the movie Now You See Me, um, which is a kind of an illusionist movie. Um, and it's a great movie, actually, but that, that's the last one he watched. Ah, for inspiration, I'm sure. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and that was a great question. I've never been asked that before, and I loved it. So. Oh, yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, shake it up a little bit. So I'm glad, I'm glad you yeah. answered that. Uh, sure. So let, let's talk about the setting, because most of your previous books were set on the East Coast, particularly yeah. on the water. And the this one is set in New Mexico. So. Yeah. Yep. Why'd you so pick that setting? I, right. I lived in New Mexico for seven years, um, high school and college and my first year of marriage, and I loved it out there. My husband and I both loved it out there, um, and we moved back to the East Coast for a job. But there's so much about New Mexico we love, and a lot of people aren't overly familiar with the state, and I just thought it would be a really fun place to set a series. Ah, oh, okay. Well, I think that's a great reason, <laughs> a great reason to, to set it there. So um, let's talk about what is the underlying positive message of this particular story. Sure. So the underlying message is hope, um, the hope we have in Christ. Both Andy and Christian have uh, kind of checkered paths, and they've come to know Christ as adults. Um, and they struggle with their walk, um, but through the story, they are reminded over and over about the hope they have in Christ. And um, I think I just read, actually, hope is written in the New King or the King James Version 130 times. So mm. there were lots of verses to kind of pair with it. But, yeah, they're, they're over, the overarching message is about hope. And I love that as Christian romantic suspense authors, we may write about danger and suspense, but we can mm -hmm. definitely layer that hope, that hope in there. So that, that's oh, wonderful. Yeah. So we are out of time. These are so short. Um, I love that, but also can be frustrating. <laughs> so we're going to leave <laughs> our listeners with what is your book's tagline to kind of tantalize them to pick up this book? Sure. So it's uh, Taunting Riddles, A Deadly String of Heist, Two Broken Hearts Trapped in a Killer's Game. Ooh, that's great. Okay, well, thank you again for sharing, Danny, about One Wrong Move. Absolutely. I'm going to talk with Danielle Grandinetti about her latest romantic suspense, Relying on the Enemy, now. So welcome to my show, Danielle. Thanks for having me, Sarah. So let's dive right in and talk about the heroine and how does she feel about love at the start of your story? So in relying on the enemy, it is a marriage of convenience story. She is a widowed mother. So the way she feels about love at the moment is she's had her happily ever after. She lost her happily ever after, but now she will do anything to provide for her children. And if that means getting married again, Love is the last thing that she's worried about. Ah, very nice. And um, what about your hero, who I suspect might change her mind? <laughs> um, oh, 
just an inkling here. Uh, so um, why did you pick his particular name? So I, I wanted, this was such a perfect question for this particular hero. His name is Gilbert. And if immediately your mind goes to Gilbert Blythe of the Anna Green mm. Gables Gilbert, that is perfect because that's exactly what I was looking for. Um, the story is relying on the enemy. Uh, major spoiler, read. If you want to not have a major spoiler reading, relying on the enemy, read book two, Refuge for the Archaeologist first. And I'm not going to tell you Gilbert's last name because he is an enemy. And uh. I wanted an immediate affinity for him because he's an enemy, but I don't want everyone to not like him. So by making him um, share the same name as uh, Marion's little girl's favorite hero, it immediately allowed a positive connection to someone who is technically an enemy. Ah, yeah. No, that's, I love that. That's a, so I always love the way we can use names to create that <laughs> Instant yes. feeling of trust. Yes, exactly. So since your hero is not the villain in this story, um, why did you decide to make your villain the villain, the bad person? So the villain in this particular story surprised me. I love when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a couple ideas of who it was going to be as I went through, which hopefully readers will suspect the same, you know, few people. Um and the particular here, the villain, surprised me um, because of why he was the villain and why he chose to make the decision to become the villain in the story. And ah. I can't say more because it will spoil. Yep. <laughs> yeah, let's not spoil it. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the setting. How does that move your story forward? So this particular story is set in 1931, um, which is during the Great Depression. So you have a widowed mother who cannot find a job. She has to support her children, an ill mother-in-law, and she has no resources. Um, That would be hard enough any day. Throw in the economic depression and the scarcity of jobs, um, and all of a sudden the desperation that happens. Um, increases. So that's part one of the setting. Part two, um, again, historical. So there's a major snowstorm that happened in Wisconsin in the beginning in January of 1931. And I use that in the story. So the setting and the weather play a major role and it's actually a historically accurate snowstorm, which was really fun to read about from the newspaper. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And to weave it into your story, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 So um, for you, what was the hardest part of writing, uh, relying on the enemy? The marriage of convenience is my favorite trope to read. So when I had the opportunity to write one, I was so excited about it. It is a lot harder to write than I expected. So that was actually (laughs) the hardest part because usually you have the, you know, the the falling in love and getting married, like that's the order. But in this Mm -hmm. story, they were, you know, kids, from a previous marriage, then they get married, and then they fall in love. It was just everything was backward, and it just it was a challenge to try to weave um, a godly love within the situation and to show what a godly marriage could look like when it didn't start the way most 
you would think a, a marriage would begin. So it was, I really enjoyed that challenge, and I hope readers will appreciate it too. Oh, I love that. I'm sure they will, Danielle. So let's, um, we are at the end of our time, but let's close with your book's tagline for relying on the enemy. She's protecting her children. He's redeeming his past. But there's nothing convenient about saving their patchwork family. Ah, I love that. Well, thank you for getting, being on my show and sharing about your book. Yes, thank you so much for having me. My next guest is Lynette Eason, and she's going to talk about her latest romantic suspense, Double Take. So welcome back to my show, Lynette. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So I'm glad you picked this question about your heroine because I just think it's so fun. So what does she eat for breakfast? If she has a chance to eat breakfast, she eats a full one. Bacon, eggs, hash browns, toast, um, the works. But if she's in a hurry, she might grab like a can a, a container of yogurt and a piece of fruit or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Let's give our heroine some appetite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I certainly like a full breakfast. So that's me too. Me too. So um let's switch to your hero in this story. Uh what is holding him back from finding love? Oh poor James. He's but he's a great guy. He um he has nightmares and PTSD uh, or PTS, I guess is what it's called now. Um, and he's just afraid that no one will ever really understand or be able to accept that, um, why he is the way he is. So, um, so he had quite a journey in the story to come to realize that he is totally acceptable and lovable and yeah. <laughs> Enough said about that, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we don't want to spoil it. We don't want to spoil it. Um, so who or what does your villain in this story love the most? You know, I thought about this question and I have an answer for it, but I'm afraid it might give away something. Um, okay. He, what he loves most is, is money, but there's more to it than just that. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and we all know how money can just really push us to do things. Um, yes. Especially if we just, I mean, it's an, when it's an all-consuming desire for it. Yes, yes, exactly. So that that is that plays into it, but there's more. Okay. And let's talk about the story setting. Why did you pick this particular setting for your story? So the story is set in um, a fictional town of Lake City, North Carolina. And um, I just, I love the mountains of North Carolina. To me, I'm just like an hour and a half, well, depending on what part I go to, away from from driving up there. And so one of the nicest things that I can do is just hop in the car and drive up there, go to the mountains, hang out, and just get away from it all. You know, do some thinking, do some praying, that kind of stuff. Um and and it's nice too because it is a fictional town that I can write it the way I envision it. Um, I'm not stuck trying to make sure all my details, as far as the setting, um, are correct based on the town because I always I have readers in every imaginable corner of the earth that you can think of, and inevitably, if I write about a um, a real place and I get something wrong, I will hear about it. So. So I went with fictional this time. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes fictional is better for studying. Yes. <clears throat> so let's talk about the underlying positive message of double take. Okay. So um, as I said, kind of a little bit earlier, the hero and the heroine both have a past and they both have issues relating to that past. But I want the takeaway to be that your past doesn't have to define your future. And that seems to be a lot of my themes in my books, but um, yeah, if it fits, it fits. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, and, and that is kind of an evergreen theme, right? We all have things in our past that we regret or we need to overcome. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. And just because you've done something bad, I use air quotes around the word bad, um, that doesn't mean your life is over. It's, you know, your, it does, your future is not based on that. All right. All right. Let's close our short interview today with what's one thing you want readers to know about Double Take? So um, this book is slightly different from my usual but still, readers should be able to tell that I wrote it. I mean, it, it doesn't have a different voice or anything, but it does have a more um, psychological thriller feel than some of the others. But it's still pretty action-packed. I mean, it, it doesn't slow down. It's just a little different. I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's a little different. Maybe not. But um, people keep labeling it psychological thrillers. So <laughs> I'm like, hmm, Okay. <laughs> All right, so now readers, so now you're warned. It's a psychological thriller, Lena Eason. But <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing about Double Take on my show today. Well, thank you for having me. It's always fun to be here. I'm delighted to be talking with Sarah Sundin about her latest historical romantic suspense embers in the london sky so welcome to my show sarah thank you for having me so we're gonna dive right into the questions um so that our listeners can get to know a little bit more about this story how does your heroine feel about love at the start of this story pretty reluctant she is just coming out of an abusive marriage so she doesn't trust men yeah, that'll that'll do it. But hey, that'll we got it. the hero coming up. <laughs> so what is your? Uh, but he has he has troubles too. So what is your hero's greatest fear? His greatest fear is well, he has asthma and he's afraid it, it makes him too weak. And his greatest fear is um, letting down the people he loves due to his weaknesses. Ah, yeah, yeah. But I bet he's going to have a chance to prove himself worthy. <laughs> Oh, yeah. story. I just know, I just know. Possibly during, possibly during an asthmatic attack. <laughs> yeah, possibly. I, I just don't, I just have an inkling, Sarah. I have an inkling. All right, so, um, and we, our stories always have villains. There's bad guys. Um, feel free to use the they pronoun if that helps cloak the identity. But why did yep. you decide to make this particular person or character the villain in this story? Well, they had motives that aligned with the themes I was working on. And um, this person rose to the top. It wasn't my original villain. And mm. I realized, yeah, I realized that it was more subtle. And, um, but yet more, um, it fit better with the story. And it, it, a lot of people have been happily surprised but said, oh, yes, I see it. I see it. So, which is what you want when you're writing um, anything with a mystery element. You want them to say, oh, I didn't see that, but yes, I see it. 
So that's, yes. that's a perfect response. <laughs> it, it is. It is, isn't it? And I often will not reveal who's behind everything, you know, till the end of, yeah. near, closer to the end of my books as well. And yeah, sometimes they, um, sometimes you do. I've changed in midstream too. So been like, yeah, oh, I thought this, no, not- this person is really the villain. All right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's talk about the challenge. And this is um, a World War II historical story. So what was one yeah. of the biggest challenges about writing this book in this particular setting? Well, it's set during the Blitz in 1940, 1941. And so the challenge is many of us have been to London. I feel like I know London fairly well. Um, you know, I'm visiting a few times um, as a tourist, of course. But I've never been to London during the Blitz, nor can I, nor do I want to. But to <laughs> right. recreate that, yeah, exactly. But to recreate that sense of what it was like to live during the Blitz um, when not having experienced it myself. So trying to get those um, details right and um, to really have them be touching so that you really felt like you were there. Yes, yeah. And that can be challenging for a lot of those kind of situations that we put our characters in, whether historical or oh, present yeah. day. You know, we can't always exactly. experience everything. We don't want to. Exactly. I really don't want to be held up at gunpoint. But <laughs> Right, right. I don't want to experience that. Um, no, I don't. So, yeah, so let's talk about the genesis of this story. And I know you write, you know, you write historical World War II novels, but what what was it about this particular story? How did this particular story come about for you? Um, well, it started when I was researching a book set in France in World War II, and I read about the exodus when the Nazis were invading, and how parents, when they were on the road, in desperation, would put their children in the cars of complete strangers. Um, to, mm. because they thought that children would have a better chance in a car than they did on foot. But after everything settled down, they couldn't find those children. And that broke my heart. So I wanted, I put my heroine in a similar situation where she is separated from her child during the exodus from the, the Netherlands. And knows all she knows is that he's going to London. And so she has to find him. So that was what, um, that was that little heart-wrenching, oh no, what would it be like? Um, scenario that made me want to write this story. Oh yeah, yeah. There's are there are some very heartrending true stories out there, and it's yeah. I always love when we whether it's historical or modern. I often read something and go, oh, hmm, <laughs> I can use yeah. that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's those. awful. I can use that. <laughs> I know. I know. We're terrible people. We are. <laughs> we are. We really are. Um, well, we are almost out of time for this short interview. So let's close with what is the tagline for Embers in the London Sky? To find her child, she will do anything. To get the truth, he will go into the flames. <laughs> and I'm botched that completely. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to have my bookmark with me so I can read it off my bookmark. But it's close. It's close. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that, that's great. So uh, thank you, Sarah, for sharing about Embers in the London Sky with, our, with my listenership today. Thanks for listening to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hammerker. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can sign up to receive notifications of upcoming podcasts and listen to previous editions at sarahhammakerfiction.com.